2: This is Make it kind. Make it kind. M-I-P-With Marcamella, Matt Mark Thompson. Make it kind. Get woke. God bless you, get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID-free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Welcome to another episode of Make It Plain. Remember, MIP is COVID free, free to all subscribers for a limited time. So tell a friend as we deal with this pandemic and really now police-demic as well, isn't it? The Poor People's Campaign is coming up June 20th. June2020.org. Reverend Dr. William J. Barber continuing the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when Dr. King was assassinated. And so we talked with Reverend Barber and we thought it would be meaningful to share as we lead up to the June 20th date, some personal stories, some human stories from individuals who are dealing with poverty in their lives and the lives of others whom they are helping. Poverty is real. Poverty affects one's ability to be treated in terms of health care. Poverty also affects where people live when it comes to police occupation. And so uh, that's why Dr. King saw poverty as a priority when it came to his movement and to his life. Uh, Christine lives in South Carolina and she has a story to tell. So for the next few days, we'll hear some of these stories from South Carolina. Here's Christine's story.
3: My name is Christine Riccio. I lived here in South Carolina since 1997. Poverty and homelessness have been a part of my life story since I was 10 years old. When I left the abusive home to live with relatives and then spent my teen years placed in different homes. Um, here in South Carolina, I lived with my boyfriend and extended, extended family in Gaston about 45 minutes outside of Columbia, where we owned a small trailer. It was hard to survive there without a car. Um, sorry, uh, without a car, we couldn't pay our bills month to month. Um, we ended up selling everything that we owned left to move to Charleston, that way we knew we'd get transportation. When we moved here, um, we got a place, but again, the temp services wasn't enough to keep us in money to pay the bills. Um, we were short $160 to the rent one month. We asked the, uh, the landlord for extension for three days, and the next thing we know, we got eviction notice, so we moved.
1: Change.
3: Change. Change um we ended up being homeless living in a tent in, in a campground in hollywood where we paid about 200 a month with me and my boyfriend and my brother-in-law and our three dogs um we ended up losing our truck because we're tied loan trying to save a home we moved downtown um downtown charleston to meeting on east street where we bought another tent to live in and uh Prayed that the walls wouldn't shake too bad when the wind blew. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: We had begged businesses to use their bathroom. Um, the mayor at this time told the cops to get us off the street. Mm-hmm. They didn't want the homeless there no more of the tent city. Mm-hmm. So we had to move. The shelter came to us and asked us to go, but I had my two dogs, which I wasn't willing to give up. I lost everything else. You could replace materials. My dogs weren't my material; they were my family, so i wasn't giving them up. I lost enough without nothing. Um, my boyfriend is a veteran um, he served from eighty six to ninety two um, because of paperwork mix up he couldn't get no help from the veterans until two thousand and seventeen he worked He was in the navy um, he just now got help for his medical condition, which is depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, So it's hard on him. He wants to commit suicide, too. Um, When you never had to be hungry, People in Washington are sending war machines to other countries Mm -hmm. to build war against others Mm -hmm. instead of homes for people here, or medical for people here, Uh, or food for people here. For children that are sleeping in their cars, that don't have, that go to bed hungry at night, Um, it's not right. Not in this city that's this wealthy. We shouldn't be this poor. That's 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 right, that's right, that's right. Why should we be without? Why should a president sit there and tell me I'm no good mm. when you never had to be without? Mm. You always had a meal in your food and a roof over your head. Mm. You never had to be without. Who are you to judge me or anybody here? That's right. Because we've all been hungry mm. and we've all been homeless and we're only one check paycheck away from being homeless. That's right. So if you think it's not hard, look at your brother next to you. Right. You might have and they might not. And then, and even the ones that don't have are still willing to share with you. Amen. So God bless you all and thank you for standing up. And coming to June 20, 2020 on Revival.
2: For People's Campaign Personal Stories, we'll be sharing some of those with you in the days leading up to Poor People's Campaign, June twenty twenty. <music> Ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of all that is happening, we must consider voting this fall, really before this fall, there are primaries and special elections and what have you that are going to be taking place. How are we going to do that? How are we going to secure our voting rights and keep them secure? How are we going to confront voter suppression? Joining us now, she was uh, formerly a part of Let America Vote and also an attorney with the Advancement Project. She is now the director of the Voting Rights program for the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, one of our civil rights legacy organizations. We're happy to have with us Lee Chapman. Lee, uh, how are you? And first of all, uh, I'm hoping you and yours are healthy and safe in this period.
4: Thank you so much, Mark. Um, We're doing the best we can, but thanks for having me on the show today.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Well, well, let's deal with with what's evident. Um, As you are working hard to secure our voting rights and keeping them protected, um, what are your thoughts about the latest developments, the demonstrations, the uh, police violence, and, and how is that impacting your work?
4: Yeah, you know, Mark, right now our nation is really in a moment of reckoning and that's what we're seeing with the protests, um, with everything that's happening right now in our country. And, um, you know, it was really interesting yesterday because, um, you know, we've had many consecutive nights of protests and we had eight primary elections yesterday in our country and voters turned out. Um, You know, there were long lines around the country. We saw people stand in five and six hour lines yesterday in places like Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia. You know, places where people have been out protesting um, to, you know, protect um, the lives of of black bodies um, every single night over the last week. And, um, you know, they protested at the ballot box, too. Um, And I think that it's really encouraging to see, you know, people are fired up. Um, they want change right now, and I'm hoping that this level of intensity is, will continue through November, and people will also protest at the ballot box. Uh, I,
2: I, I hope and pray that is true, and, and I believe that. H- however, I'm, I'm going to share something with you and just get your, your real-time reaction to it. I've been talking to several people and several people working with some of the young people, um, millennials and Generation Z we know historically the challenge in um, keeping them engaged in the electorate and getting them out to vote. Right. And uh, the word on the street, so to speak, is that um, they're so angry, many of them and so frustrated with the system uh, that they don't give one about voting. Mm. And so the, uh, what was said to me now is, is that the challenge is to somehow show them the importance of voting in this situation, as they see their lives at stake and and being killed, they don't necessarily see the connection. Uh, we, you and I know there is, right? But but the question is, you know, whether there's enough time to reach them on the media where they get their information from and they get their knowledge from. You know, the pro and con. Um, you know what can be done about that so so what's your reaction as, as i share that with you i was very i can't really be in denial about it that's that's plausible but it was very troubling to me uh when i heard that so um but but what's your what are your thoughts about that and and how might that inform your your organizing going forward lee
4: yeah i mean people are definitely entitled to feel the way the way they feel and um right now people are feeling like um democracy, the system, is not, um, you know, in their best interests. But I think activists, organizations, civil rights leaders, everybody, you know, we need to do a better job at connecting the issues that people care about with with voting. You know, we need to do a better job to talk about how prosecutors and the district attorney is elected, that sheriffs are elected, um, you know, and people have that power to, to get this person out of office, you know, and it's not just The president, um, these local elections are critical um, and we just have not been doing a good enough job at saying why people need to vote, you know, why they need to vote their values and why that's so critical um, to do, especially this year when we're faced with COVID-19, we're faced with, um, you know, a president who is threatening our democracy every day, Um, you know, we're faced with just trying to survive every day. But the the, the biggest form of protest that people can engage in right now, in addition to you know peacefully protesting in the street or however however people want to do it, is casting their ballot, making sure you're registered to vote, making sure your family and friends are registered to vote, and um, casting your ballot in primary elections and in November as well. And and,
2: I, and, and you answer that question in just the way it should have been because there's still much more education needs to happen about down ballot and about, I mean, I'll be honest, we had a hard time in 2016, not just young people, everybody understanding that they were also voting for the Supreme Court.
4: Right. You know, folk get
2: caught up in one personality Mm -hmm. and one office said, no, 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 this is, and I think people realize that late, but you're right. We talk about prosecutors Mm -hmm. and elected officials who appoint police chiefs. Right. But just as we're talking, Lee, you know, it just comes to mind, um, if, if you don't mind. Sometimes I don't just do interviews. I, I, I like to have meetings <laughs> <laughs> on, on, in real time. Maybe all of us ought to be saying it also, not only the way you said it, but this way. What do you think? That police violence itself is a form of voter suppression. Because if it leads people to frustration, desperation, and despair, where they feel like they they're helpless and can't vote to change it anyway. I mean, let's be honest, in it, when we lost the right to vote after reconstruction during reclamation, it was the that loss of the right to vote by 1900 was in direct consort with violence and lynchings.
3: Right.
2: So the suppression and the violence really can't be separated, can they? No,
4: and it's so embedded in um you know, in in our world right now, just look at felony disenfranchisement laws, you know, those were really established to prevent people of color from voting. Um, That's, you know, a vestige of Jim Crow. Um, And, you know, look what happened in Florida in 2018, voters decided that they don't want this law. They, you know, Florida's law prevented 1.5 million people with felony convictions from casting their ballot. And in 2018, voters turned out um and they they you know voted to allow people with felony convictions to vote but then what we saw was right away the state legislature instituted a bill to say that you have to pay your fines and fees before you can vote which is Mm -hmm. a poll tax right um some people had tens and hundreds of thousands of fines and fees um and were not able to pay and actually just recently a federal court held that um that law it violates the 24th Amendment of the United States Constitution, it is a poll tax and voters in Florida with felony convictions are entitled to vote without paying those fines and fees. So yes, you're right. Um, it's really embedded in how our democracy works, but, you know, people need to to fight in one way of thing is at the ballot box by casting their ballot.
2: Yeah. And, and I think if people understood that, that there's a connection between the violence and, and Getting us to think that voting won't help
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know because I say sometimes people don't take it that far. they see the violence as just you know an an assault on black lives just like that, but it is it leads to other things and encourages other things uh uh to happen so one of the ways to fight back against police violence is to actually vote yes so I, i'm I'm just saying um um that that's very very important so um there's also the th- uh, vote by mail, mm-hmm. uh, where are we on that? Tell us what about the work you're doing um, to to secure that and help make that more accessible.
4: Sure, so yeah, because we're in a pandemic right now, states need an infusion of money to prepare for the November elections. And um, experts have estimated it's going to cost around $4 billion for the country to be prepared, meaning having enough funds to mail ballots to voters Having enough funds so poll workers can have that protective equipment, um, and to just expand more voting opportunities, like having those drop boxes that we saw around Philadelphia yesterday, where people can just drop off their absentee ballot. So right now, election officials are woefully unprepared. You know, we saw that in Wisconsin, seventy people actually contracted COVID on yeah. election day. Um, you know, yesterday we saw long lines in in Washington D.C. and Philadelphia, and Like we said, it's wonderful that people are protesting, they're showing up, they're going to vote, but we also wanna make sure that voters are safe, um, that they don't have to stand in long lines and states actually need money in order to make that happen. So that's what we're doing. We are lobbying Congress, particularly, we're lobbying the Senate because the House actually passed a bill called the Heroes Act a few weeks ago that had everything we wanted. It had $3.6 billion in funds but it's currently just sitting in McConnell's legislative graveyard and he's not doing anything. Um, So, you know, right now we're seeing that many Republicans, um, just people who don't want to have an inclusive democracy in our country are saying that vote by mail leads to fraud. You know, they don't want people to have access to vote by mail and that's not true. Vote by mail is safe and secure. And the fact that we're in a pandemic right now, we need to give voters all the options possible and that includes mailing them Valid invalid applications.
2: The, the the money that is being discussed now, um, that there is some resistance to from McConnell. And we'll get back to that in a minute, but I just want people to, to kind of grasp the dollar figure. I mean, we're talking about is the number three billion? No, 3. In the, in the,
4: six billion dollars.
2: Wow. Wow. It's actually That's just what,
4: a drop in a hat when you're talking about these trillion dollar stimulus packages. You know, it's really right. not that much. I mean, it sounds like a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of money to protect our
2: democracy. And it probably, if we really dug, did a deep dive, it probably still isn't quite enough, is it? Probably could stand more, right? Right, of
4: course,
2: yeah. Yeah. Um, we, from what I also understand, uh, there's a the need to get that money through. But l- like right now, the clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. Some states, to really get things set up the right way, rightly, would have needed to get have, to have gotten started yesterday.
4: Yes. And states are making these decisions now. Um, and you know, if we're going to move to vote by mail, local jurisdictions need to have scanners so that they can scan absentee ballots. Um, they have to buy them, right? And they're manufactured. There's one manufacturer in Germany. They have to get them shipped over. So you know, there's all these logistic hurdles um, that local jurisdictions face. So that's why they need the money right now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so. You mentioned the Senate, I mentioned McConnell what what are our prospects so so just on the process uh the House is a part of this too, right? Yes, and we're probably i guess we're in pretty decent shape with the House. That's not the, the hurdle. It's right. then been it to the other folk, and they i mean, I guess we would say honestly that that there any resistance they show to this voting by mail is in and of itself. Uh, a form of voter suppression.
4: Exactly. And, you know, there are Republican states that have vote by mail and it works well. You know, there's Republican secretaries of state who have also said it works well. You know, Donald Trump himself uses vote by mail. This press secretary himself, herself uses vote by mail. So, um, you know, we're making the case in every which way we can. We are, We have different messengers in our coalition that are making that case because yeah. it's not vote by mail doesn't favor one party or or another it's just about making sure that people have access to the ballot during a pandemic and making sure that um voting is safe and secure and accessible
2: um many of the voters in his constituency who are 55 to 65 and older White voters vote by mail.
4: Yes, exactly. Yeah, so it's not in his best interest to <laughs> to try to stop vote by mail.
2: And many of them uh, are also uh, uh, predisposed to the danger of COVID. Right. But but you know what, lead doggone. They've they've gone on Fox and said, you know, well, some of y'all are just gonna have to sacrifice your lives and die for the good. Now. How that uh, um, um, endears people to vote for one, I don't know, but but that's what's going on. And so here's the other thing, because I was talking to some other groups too, because it, it that it, there's another layer to this. As me, if, as many of you listening to us will know, just imagine the last time you went to the to vote in person, many of the people working in the voting booths, who are in those volunteer roles working for these boards of elections, God bless them, and and we need them are themselves seniors yes, who who are volunteering. So then that opens up a whole nother thing of risk, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, in terms of having access to the ballot. And we know that there'll they'll still have to be open places because some people go in person, but then you've got to provide protection
4: right.
2: and contingency plans for those who are at risk of working in the voting booth. So that's part of that money. Yeah.
4: And we shouldn't have to choose between our safety and democracy you know and that's why we're saying voters need every option necessary we need vote by mail we need to have expanded ways to register right not every state has online registration
2: That's um, right.
4: we need to have ample early voting so at least two weeks of early voting so people can you know, go and vote have um, social distance you know they don't so they're not in long lines or not in crowded places um you know if we really provide all of these options then we will have a smooth election as we can in november because you know we might have another spike of covid in the fall so that's why it's so critical that we have all the options necessary
2: so you mentioned lobbying um what what's it look like is there is there a, is there a, a magic number are there people who are uh, leaning are are, are there some swing votes that need to be targeted in the Senate? Are you in a position to share any of that?
4: You know, I think right now, um, we the timing is up in the air. So the HEROES Act passed the House two weeks ago. It's now mm-hmm. sitting in McConnell's legislative graveyard. So we're trying to drive um, emails, tweets, calls, whatever we can to the Senate. I think it's important for people to call their senator whether it's a Republican or Democratic Senator, because, you know, once again, we still wanna make sure that Democrats can hold the line on this and make sure that they are also advocating in the Senate to protect our democracy. So right now I say that, you know, we just need every it's all hands on deck moment, and we just need people to call their senators, email their senators, contact them and just say, you know, we need to have safe and accessible elections in, in 2020. Um, but one thing I would say is the leadership conference has a campaign called "Instill I Vote," and we launched this "Instill I Vote" campaign um, in Selma, Alabama, during the fifty-fifth anniversary of Bloody Sunday this year. And the purpose of the campaign is, you know, to shine a spotlight on barriers to the ballot um, and to really mobilize people to take action. So I would encourage everyone to go to our website, which is andstillivote.org to sign up. And we will be sending emails to people who are signing up saying, here's how you contact your Senator. You know, oh, you live in New York. Um, this is what you can do to make sure your elections are protected. Um, so hmm. we are mobilizing and building that army of supporters, which is so needed right now, especially since we are now, you know, five months from the November elections and we're in the middle of a pandemic.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Um, folks, the, the website is fantastic. If you are feeling any way apathetic, just go to andstillivote.org, and you will be inspired uh, to get yourselves together and get involved. And this is great. Um, Lee, obviously, is an African American woman. The image on the website andstillivote.org is an African American woman. Uh, it's taken a, a century. But I think finally now people are realizing the role that uh, black women have played and are playing in terms of, of bringing about change. I mean, I think this is the most important constituency that we have now. And, and Lee, I'm sure you'd agree that um, in this pandemic and in this, um, this period of unrest and demonstration and police violence, um, that this is something concrete that we can do. Um if, if if we show up in the same numbers as we're showing up in the streets, you know, we can do something about this.
4: Yeah, I agree. This is our power. You know, voting is all about power and voter suppression is about power. Um, and we can't let people take our power away. This is how we can stand up and reclaim that power.
2: Yeah, yeah, folks. So so this is this is it. This is uh, our opportunity. We've had you go to and and still I vote dot um, uh, org uh, and find out more. Uh, they even have uh, uh, something here called Turn Up Tuesday where they do a weekly web series talking about what's going on. So as we're moving and mobilizing it in the streets, it is so, so important um, and that we advocate on um, on the local level uh, as well. Um, and you know what, I just mentioning, least some of those Board of Elections folks, like I said, I, you know, we've kind of conceded that to, to older, retired people, but some of us young folk might just have to do that. Yeah. Some of us may need to decide um, that this year and going forward, we're going to start volunteering. Right. Uh, right?
4: Yes, we need younger people in these poll worker um, roles. You know, one thing that we always hear from local election officials is it's so hard to recruit poll workers. It's so difficult. And um, that's one way that you can volunteer um, to help protect our democracy. Also, so some people don't know, but in places like Pennsylvania, um, the head poll worker in each polling place is elected. So that's also a way that you can start getting involved um, in the political process and start, you know, running for office is to be that head poll worker. It's a really good entry point um, if you're yeah. participating um, in elected positions.
2: As a matter of fact, you um, were, were in the, uh, the, the Department of State or Secretary of State's office in Pennsylvania, weren't you?
4: Yes, I was the director of policy in 2016. So. One of the right. things that we did was we helped um, implement the online voter registration system when I was there in 2016. Yeah.
2: Very important. So you've been at, at this uh, uh, for a while. I, it, just as I said out loud, I can't help but, but remember one of my mentors, now an ancestor, uh, Dr. C. Loris Tucker. Yes. Uh, who who I believe was in that office. Yes, she
4: was Secretary right? of State of Pennsylvania. Right. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And, and what a legacy. Again, a black woman who along with speaking of black women uh, along with Shirley Chisholm founded uh, the National Political Congress of uh, Black Women um, which is now headed by Dr. Ife Williams so uh so yeah uh uh Lee is coming from that lineage folks and we are thankful uh for her so and still i vote yes um Lee we appreciate you keep up uh, the good work um um, you be careful. We probably don't need you to sacrifice yourself on these streets. We need you right where you are to make sure these these vote booths and this vote by mail is taking place. So uh, we all have the, the roles we need to be in, folks, and Lee's is very important. Lee, thank you for joining us. This will not be the last time we talk. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you'll be hearing more about what the Voting Rights Project and program is doing with the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. Again, one of our uh, legacy uh, organizations, I didn't get to share this with you last time we talked, but just to remind the audience, as you've heard me say before, uh, uh, the, um, Clarence Mitchell Jr. Uh, and his descendants are members of my extended family. And at one time, uh, Clarence Mitchell Jr. was the head of the Leadership Conference on Civil uh, and Human Rights, which is a, a, a coming together and a coalition of all of our civil rights organizations. Uh, and we're all very, very busy right now, but we cannot lose sight. We must keep our eyes on the prize when it comes to voting. And, and folks, I would also encourage you to, as you engage others in, in the context of what's happening with all the frustration, let them know that that vote can be a difference because it can elect secretaries of state and prosecutors and elected officials who then do uh, hire police chiefs and, and other people in high ranking positions so the vote matters. And as Lee and I discussed before, link it back to our history. Um, violence was used to intimidate us away from the ballot box. Let's not let it do that again. Lee, thank you once again. And and we'll we'll talk again and you feel free on behalf of the project and on behalf of the conference uh, to call and give me or this audience any assignments, okay?
4: Great. Thank you so much for having me.
2: All right. Thank you, Lee. God, you are our refuge send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain.